Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. The Around the NFL Podcast. The only podcast where the most talented person only does the intro. Welcome to... Another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and yes, Chris Wessling. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Hey, what's the, what's the laughter? Why are the smiles? We will have none of that in week 14. No well, smiles. It's all business. We're strictly football, and we have no senses of humor. I'm laughing at Matt Money Smith's very factual suggestion that the only the person with the most talent is the person doing that little sound bite. I wonder if you added Jeez. the four of our talents together, would we be well we wouldn't have as many jobs as Matt Money Smith if you mm. added the four of us together. Well you are the number one Matt Money Smith fan in Los Angeles now, because you are a daily listener to his drive time show as well. Uh, but I'd like to think that, you know, being attached to our show has lifted his brand, I'd say seven to tenfold. We would like to think that. I'm not sure that's true, but we we would like to think that. Well, I do. Welcome to every welcome everyone to the yes, week 14 recap episode. We are going to go through every game that was played on Sunday. And listen, they can't all be beautiful. They can't all be gorgeous. In fact, if I had to come up with a one sound effect that would neatly sum up the Sunday slate today, it would be this. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, they weren't they weren't competitive. They look great on paper, but they didn't it didn't doesn't usually work out that way. We, you know, we we'll see. We're taping this and we'll see if the primetime game save us. Those were the best matchups on paper uh, going That's in. True. That's I true. I was driving around with Luke and that exact sound effect played randomly in a commercial on the radio and he was like what does that sound effect mean i now have a new um more clear explanation to offer (laughs) it means week 14 sunday all right let's get into it we'll start uh obviously now every team after this week is going to have three games to play which means the playoffs 
um, are really starting to come into focus. Uh, we'll start today's show by digging through the NFC and what happened because there was a lot of change right to the very top. There's Hurts. He's back. He is floating the football. It is caught. Touchdown. Touchdown. He gets it over to Alshon Jeffrey. Mike Reese, WIP with the call. Yes, Jalen Hurts' NFL starting debut was supposed to be a bloodbath. Instead, Hurts ran for 100 yards, threw a touchdown pass, which you just heard, and helped lead the Eagles to a stunning 24-21 win over the Saints. Greg, we'll get to what this means for the Saints in a moment, and it's not good. But what did you see from Hurts and the Eagles' offense I saw a guy whose legs and decisiveness gave them a little life. I mean, the Eagles are barely alive in the NFC East. We'll get to that for one more week. But the fact that after 55 games of the Saints not allowing a 100-yard rusher, Jalen Hurts goes over 100. And oh, by the way, Miles Sanders goes over 100. And I think the Eagles rushing game got a little boost from Jalen Hurts because of the read act, you know, the read option and also just having to account for him. So many times in this game on third and four, third and five, Hurts just picked it up with his legs. He made good decisions uh, throwing the ball most of the day. And in the first half, when, you know, you're watching these two teams and you're thinking, wow, these two quarterbacks have pretty similar styles it was a knockout the Eagles offense was moving the ball up and down the field the Eagles offensive line kind of dominated this game that was shocking and the Eagles defensive line played great too it was a pretty thorough uh, beating despite it only being a three-point final score when's the last time a quarterback and a running back in Philadelphia both ran for a hundred yards. I, I, you know, I was watching this one pretty closely, Greg, and I just felt like I kind of, kind of, even for the few snaps that we saw Jalen Hurts in some of these other games, that there was just a little bit of a different energy, and that's maybe one of the unexplainable things in, in football and sports. But um, you know, some of us wanted this change to happen earlier. I get why it was complex and why it didn't. But the Eagles are not dead, and it, it is not impossible to look ahead at this um, Washington Philly game in Week 17. And wonder if it could still, just like these TV people like to do, put a little NFC East mm. matchup, flex it into that Week 17 night game. It could be very uh, important. Philly obviously still on the ropes at 4-8-1. and one. Washington, and we're going to get to them obviously a little bit later, up to 6-7. and seven. So Philly has to do something really special. I, I, I guess I didn't see enough from Jalen Hurts to think that this is about to be some type of Cinderella run. Uh, but this was obviously something they needed because it had gotten so stale with Carson Wentz. And on the Saints side of things, this is a tough loss. This is a bad loss. This is a loss that drops them to 10-3. and three. It ends that long winning streak. And uh, with a Packers win, they're now tied uh, record-wise, but the Packers have the tiebreaker on the Saints. So right now, the Saints have lost the number one seed, West in the NFC. And Taysom Hill, I talked about this in our Thursday show, I thought this was a big start for him uh, in terms of put, planting that seed in Sean Payton's mind because we knew Drew Brees was going to come back, but we didn't know how he's going to play, and we still don't know. But this is not probably the performance that Taysom Hill wants to leave with his head coach going down the stretch. Right. Not a disastrous start by any means, but some little things. Taking sacks in the wrong places, overthrowing or throwing behind receivers on third downs, key plays that he couldn't come up with that ended up being um, factors in the, in the outcome of the game. And like you said, if we were going to put that little birdie in Sean Payton's mind, it's not going to happen after that one. 
Well, and they, he's probably going to start next week against the Chiefs. So everyone in the NFC is looking at this. It's not just it's not just Green Bay, who's you know the Packers are very excited, but the Seahawks and the Rams got to be looking at lists that they're not out of it either. They're only one back, especially thinking that the Saints have are going to now have an uphill battle. Certainly not insurmountable uh, to beat the Chiefs next week. Drew Brees sounds like he's iffy, and Hill, you know they they didn't score in the first half. Um, for for the longest time, and they had five first downs in six drives. And you know when he gets a fourth down, key you know spot late in the game against an Eagles defense that lost Darius Slay, Rodney McLeod, and Devontae Maddox. Three basically their best three players in the secondary. He holds the ball too long, which has been a problem for him. He fumbled, which has been an even bigger problem for him. And that kind of to me was the key sequence because the Saints defense, after playing a rough first half, stood up, gave the offense a chance to come back didn't quite happen I don't think Hill's been a disaster by any means but I I don't think he's shown nearly enough there's certainly no controversy this year they need Drew Brees back and I'm sure they'd love to get him back in the regular season to get some snaps before whatever type of postseason run they have that was Taysom Hill's 10th fumble of the season and it was a huge one they were down three points um, in the opponent's territory with a chance to tie or take the lead and once Hill loses that fumble, it was the fourth fumble he's lost this year. The defense then lets down, gives up the touchdown, and that was more or less it. There was a, a late touchdown uh, for cosmetic purposes and then a near recovery on an onside kick. But the right team won this game, and uh, the Saints, obviously, if they end up playing on the first week of the postseason, they will look at this game and kick themselves uh, speaking of the Green Bay Packers. Rodgers takes the snap in shotgun. Looks around, scrambles to his left. He can take it himself to the end zone on the run. Touchdown! Oh, Wayne Larrabee, WTMJ with the call. I love gold! Aaron Rodgers ran for a score and threw three more touchdown passes to lead the Packers to a 31-24 win over the stubborn Detroit Lions at Ford Field. The win combined with the Saints' loss to the Eagles. Uh, moves the, the Packers, as I said, into the number one seed in the NFC. It also clinches the division uh, for the Packers. So another big-time year for the bearded boy uh, on the sidelines. And Aaron Rodgers, who just may have, uh, I don't want to say sewn it up, because there's still three weeks to play. But uh, on the day when Patrick Mahomes' statistical line takes a dip with the three interceptions today, uh, Rodgers has another just awesome performance. He started the game with 10 straight completions. He hooked up with Devonte Adams for a touchdown for the eighth straight game uh, and was just in total control. He's playing the game at, at such a level of mastery right now that you can't help but admire it. So the Packers get another win and they are stacking wins and they are in position now uh, to have that buy if they can just keep winning until the regular season runs out. I love the Packers getting some production out of Rashawn Gary. That's been uh, something that's happened now each and every week. Like, you'd like to see them blow out uh, a Lions team. Chase Daniel ends up coming in for Matthew Stafford and had a touchdown nullified on a pretty courageous uh, attempt. And That would have been his first rushing touchdown of his whole career. It, and it was right after he threw a absolute dime on a under pressure on third and long. I was like, what is happening here? Is Chase Daniel going to make this interesting? Didn't, didn't happen. Um, but the, I like that the Packers are getting more production out of Rashawn Gary because they need their pass rush. To me, that's kind of their X factor. And, uh, you know, today against the Lions isn't the best test, but they got it done. I mean, Stafford looked like he really 
banged up those ribs pretty bad in that. Devontae Adams, we talked to him a little bit on the preview show. I don't know what else to say about him. Today, eight straight games with a touchdown broke the franchise record held by Don Hudson, who has not played football in quite a while. So that, that record has been out there. Well, I don't know what you guys said on the pregame show, but I'm sorry for DeAndre Hopkins because Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are the are the all-pro receivers this year, in my opinion. Mm. Devontae Adams is like George Kittle last year. He takes the fight to you every game. He beats you in every way. He beats you at the catch point, after the catch. He's reliable. He gets in the end zone. Um, I just love the way he's playing with so much confidence. And I really believe that this – Aaron Rodgers has had some great, all-time great seasons. This might be his best one. He's Ooh. been practically perfect this year. He has been practically perfect. 2011 was like – I, I put that with any – like ahead of any Peyton Manning or Brady season, which they well, until the, the New York Giants found him in January. Right, but I'm, a, I, I'm just counting the regular season. But it has Take been out. awesome. He would have my MVP vote. He had it coming into this game. I don't think it's anywhere close to over because three weeks is an eternity and Mahomes has been incredible. But he's Take got the edge the right Bucks now. game and he has been just about perfect with his mm. throws. Wes, you, you nailed it, I believe it was Wes, last week when you said that the Packers have surrounded him with just enough talent. If it was, if, if maybe Robert Tanyan wasn't there or MVS didn't make, made a couple less plays uh, or Devontae Adams got banged up a little bit more. It Alan would Lazard. Be a Alan, you got Alan Lazard there. You got Aaron Jones healthy now. It, it's, not a, it's not like a bounty of gifts like Patrick Mahomes has which I think you have to factor in when you're talking the MVP conversation as well but it's enough and then he t- he maxes out all those guys Robert Tanyan has nine touchdowns this mm. year the most much sense. better line though like a great line like a top three or four a great line, offensive which, line. which makes okay. a big difference very fair he has nine nine touchdowns the most by a Packers tight end since 2000, oh, 2001 who was it Bubba Franks correct Bubba how about Franks, that right off the top Good job by you, Greggy. Uh, yes, and Matthew Stafford, he hurts his ribs. Uh, a tough thing for Detroit because they were fighting hard in this game. They fell behind early, pulled even at 14-14, uh, but then the Packers just almost used their power of will to just kind of take themselves to the finish line and then uh, get the W. So big, big win for the Packers, who are 10-3. and They went 13-3 and last year. So mm. the bearded boy, Matt LaFleur, even I can do this math. They are 23 and 6. Wow. In two seasons, the regular season so far. That's Week pretty 16. damn good. Week good 16 math. Packers Titans is one of the uh, bigger games left on this little slate of games we have. I'd also Not- say, like, for the doubting of them, I doubted them last year. Like, I just didn't see them as their record. I don't have those feelings this year because I think the NFC is weak and they, they could beat anyone in that conference. All right, so we talked about the top of the NFC playoff picture. Let's see uh, who's fighting for the sixth and seventh seeds down below, starting with a trip to Tampa. How about a gun? Brady takes the snap, has protection, looks upfield, throws a deep ball downfield. Oh, Scotty Miller! Miller K makes the catch! Touchdown, Tampa Bay! Run, Scotty, run! Fire the cannons! Jane <laughs> Deckeroff, WFUS. With the call, Scotty Miller, remember him? You have a nice little season, but they go get Antonio Brown and you forget all about him. Well, maybe it's time to get Scotty back involved. Uh, the slot man helped Tom Brady break out of his deep ball slump. 
and a nightmare performance by Viking singer Dan Bailey helped the Bucks get their season back on track. A 26-14 win. A nice game from the defense here, boys. Uh, Tampa Bay, I know, Greg, you've been talking the Bulls of Sants all year, but I thought in addition to the offensive struggles, the defense had been in a little bit of a funk. Not here. They sacked Kirk Cousins six times. The last one produced a fumble that basically ended this game in terms of a competition. Uh, and after a rough start in the first quarter for the defense against the run, I mean, this is a great run defense, as we know, and the Vikings put up 71 yards in the first quarter alone, and you're thinking, uh-oh, and Brady's airmailing passes to Gronk and Chris Godwin, and you're thinking they sleptwalked through the bye, and they came out of it still looking like a mess, but then they kind of got it together. The Miller touchdown was big. Uh, they got things calmed down with Dalvin Cook, who still crossed 100 yards, but it seemed like it was going to be a much bigger day. And then, like I said, I mean, this was – we see it. We saw it in week one with Steven Gaskowski. Uh Hell, it happened with the Jets with uh, Sergio Castilla today. Sometimes these kickers, you could tell the moment just crushes them, and they, they couldn't kick a 20-yarder if they had to. And that's what happened to Dan Bailey in a big spot. He misses all four of his kicks, an extra point. And then three field goals, uh, two of them very makeable. The third one, a long kick, but uh, essentially cost them, you know, 10 points and took them out of the game. I know Zimmer likes Bailey and Bailey has been having a pretty good season. uh, What's not to like before the last, well, before the last two weeks, he's been pretty good for them, but I don't know how you stay, you move forward with him when you're trying to get a playoff spot and your kicker just basically cost you a game. Mm. He's had such a weird career at one point. He was the guy that Justin Tucker had to take his throne. Right. And then he went through a bad spot where Dallas released him because he seemed to lose some leg strength. Comes to Minnesota, struggles right off the bat. And then hits like a nice sweet spot in Minnesota where he starts nailing all his kicks again. He's had four different seasons where he's only missed two field goals. Justin Tucker can't say that. You got you got that, all those Bailey stats off the top of your head. I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> hey, Dan's not the only one who knows kickers. Oh, he knows him. <laughs> well, That's I have awesome to ask, stuff. like Dan, what happens with the you know this this kicker club is a complex um, uh, environment. It sounds like some kickers aren't necessarily just allowed in because they're a kicker. Dan Bailey, I would imagine, has posted up to the bar in the past and you know whistled Dixie about his skills. But after a day like today, is the club nice to him, or do they you know like it's kind of like your friend? If you're kind of a materialist and your friend falls on tough times, you kind of look past them to the other cooler friends. What happens with someone like Bailey in this situation? So in the case of Bailey, as a veteran that's been around for a long time, he has admission to the club. When things are going really well, he's going to be in the champagne room. He's going to have bottle service. Everything's going to be cool. Uh, After last week when he struggled some, he got kicked out of bottle service and was just belly up at the bar. Uh, and after today, we, we had to ask him to leave. Not for for good, but, it you know, you, we job. can't be having that. You can't miss all four of your kicks when your team's fighting for a playoff spot. And, you know, the Vikings are a team that I was high on as a team that was going to make a run to the playoffs. They definitely started to get me nervous the last couple of weeks, even though they were still winning. And, and now, you know, after today's game, mm-hmm. things the, it's going to be stacked up against them. They got to win out most likely. And I don't know, based on what we've seen the last three weeks, to have a lot of confidence about that. But, man, Viking, it's, Vikings fandom is tough. It's one of the toughest fan uh, bases uh, to have to deal with your team because bad things happen. But that the curse of the Vikings kicker, it is absolutely real. You just go through the years. It feels like every 
three to five years, there's a calamity that costs them a season or a, or a Super Bowl trip, uh, and it's happening again. This was a, a game no one's going to forget this one in Minnesota. I mean, they had 40 minutes time of possession, which is you know an overrated stat. It's like guys like Mike Zimmer love it, except you're just shorting the game for you to lose. They had eight possessions in this game. <laughs> like that's half as many as the 49ers had, for instance, in their game. They they move the ball pretty well. But ultimately, Kirk Cousins gets sacked six times. The Vikings don't have any sacks. JPP's had a nice season. He's had a nice career. I mean, he I've always loved watching him play. He is all effort all the time. You can't run a screen against him. And this season especially, it feels like he comes up with one monster play uh, every week, and he had it with the, the forced fumble late. In he game. almost just grabbed that out of Kirk Cousins' hand. Almost. That fumble. It was... he, he nearly did. Mark, and Wes, go ahead, Wes. Mark, Dan Bailey is like Whiskey Pete. Okay. He's, you know, he's over in the corner. There once was a day where after the game, he's the guy everybody wants to be around. He's holding court. He's got all the jokes flying. Everybody's having a grand time. Drinks are flying. Whiskey <laughs> Pete's the place to be. And then, you know, flash forward 10 years down the line, Whiskey Pete's just telling about the good old days. Never um, shuts up, and all he's doing is drinking whiskey all day and drinking whiskey all night. Nobody <laughs> wants to be around him. Yeah, drinking outside my club is what he's doing. Also, Wes, he was born J- January 26, 1988. You came, you were coming at me a little bit on the kicker knowledge, so I had to drop his birthday for you. Just oh, nice. Wait you, wait, you Googled his birthday? We're supposed to give you credit for that? My producer sent me a private Does message. he have any uh, <laughs> nicknames on Pro Football Reference that you, while, you're, while you're on that page during those <laughs> Whiskey Pete. Whiskey Pete, it go. is. All right, let's uh, move on. Let's move on and check in on another team fighting for a wild card spot. Snap to Murray, backing up in trouble, throws it back in the end zone. Arnold jumps up into the air and catches it for a touchdown. There are four Giants in the area. It looked like Murray might be just throwing that ball away. When pigs fly, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Ron Wolfie has like reached a, a point as a broadcaster where he doesn't need to make sense, and we all just like, oh, well, that sounded cool and fun. When pigs fly, baby. Yeah, that was Wolfie with Dave Pash of KTAR. Kyler Murray connected on that, floated that scoring pass to Dan Arnold. And Hassan Reddick, my goodness, had a franchise record five sacks and three forced fumbles as the Cardinals move back into the NFC playoff spot with a 26 7 win over the Giants. Mark Daniel Jones returned to the lineup for the G-Men, but he did not look like he was ready for Riddick, Riddick or the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he... Did he dress for work today? It's unclear to me. He he couldn't have been worse in this spot. Um, it, was, it was a real, I thought, deflating event for the Giants, who were one of the stories of the week. Sacked eight times, as you mentioned, five by Hassan Reddick, who I think, you know, hearing him after the game, he was, he was stunned that that happened. It was a franchise record. But it was Marcus Golden that got it going early. Daniel Jones, up to his old tricks, um, had a strip sack. Marcus Golden returned at 30 yards. Now, that that was where I wondered if New York was going to hang tough in this game because they had it deep in Giants territory. They held Kyler Murray to a goal in the, in the offense to a goal line stand. But then the turnovers kept coming. Deion Lewis for the Giants lost a kick return fumble, a, pl- a weird play where the ball was sort of inadvertently kicked out by a defender, which is unreviewable, but that led to the Dan Arnold touchdown from the from the uh, replay right there, and then Daniel Jones had a second loss fumble, and it was kind of, it, it allowed, I thought, the Cardinals enough time 
to kind of get warmer on offense. Uh, the, early on, it looked like Kyler Murray had been confused, uh, as a la Russell Wilson to some degree, by some of these Giants' disguised blitz, blitzes and tactics. Uh, but the offense, you know, it, it, for the New York, just a total disaster. They're one of the worst fourth-quarter offenses in the, in the league. They went in, um, in in tough territory to begin with. Daniel Jones had 15 net yards passing at half. Um, it looked like it, and to the point where Joe Judge basically told the Fox crew, yeah, we're looking to potentially just put Colt McCoy in this game. And Daniel Jones got a little banged up, and Colt McCoy did finish, but Colt McCoy had been warming up during parts of the second half. So, mm. you know, I don't think it's going to lead to a quarterback switch because McCoy came in and was no more serviceable necessarily. But, that you know, it, it reminds you that these NFC East teams um, – the records reflect a lack of completion roster-wise. And this Giants offense, which I thought, you know, the ground game got going in recent weeks. You could kind of trust that. And Wayne Gallman looked like a much better version of previous years' Wayne Gallman's. Not today. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins did enough for the Cardinals. Dan Arnold, who shows up every week for that team with big plays, uh, helped Kyler Murray, who ran the ball 10 times today, uh, and so he got going, and they that was a part of their offense. I wouldn't say it was as killer as it's been in the past, but they didn't shy away from it. So they're hanging on uh, by dear life in that NFC, but the NFC is not like the AFC. I could see a 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight type team grabbing that last wild card spot if these inconsistent operations don't get on a hot streak. Well, they got, they got the Eagles, 49ers, and Rams. You win those first two, you're in. There was some criticism that Daniel Jones' hamstring wasn't ready, and that's why you see Hassan Reddick get five sacks. You see eight sacks because he shouldn't have been playing. Well, it's mm. also a terrible offensive line. I mean, I, I think it's it's all mixed in there. Did he look spry and healthy? Um, not necessarily because his mobility is a big part of his game. You didn't see that today. But the offensive line also, uh, I thought, gave him very little room to operate. I mean, they were. this is not a Cardinals team that does that every week. So it's it, it tells you that New York's line is a big old hot mess. Giants, I mean, got, it, Giants got flexed into primetime next week against the Browns and the fact that Jones was not healthy in this game. And Joe Judge said he didn't have regrets playing Daniel Jones in this game. But it's something they're going to have to monitor. Their season is, you know, on the brink at five and eight here. And they they're going to need they're going to need a couple wins here, including potentially the one against Cleveland. So is Colt McCoy potentially the answer behind center? Ooh, uh, Colt McCoy against the Browns in primetime Sunday night week 15. You got to be kidding me. Oh, Who would have thunk that it? Who would have thunk it? Give good. I'm give the Cardinals some credit. I know Jones isn't healthy, but to go 390 yards to 159 to have a total full scale beatdown, we haven't really seen this out of this Cardinals team against anyone. Um, I that's as surprising a result as I think we had today. The way that they were playing to just totally dismantle the oh, Giants. All they get some credit, is, and they're the favorites now. All I'd say is when you watch this, like, tell me if you think it looked like a beatdown from first quarter through fourth on the, in terms of the Cardinals offense. Right. I just, I just don't totally yardage aside. I just struggle to buy them um, going forward, but it was a better, it was a better showing than it's been of late. It was a must win for the Cardinals. They got it. The giants fall out of first place in the NFC East. Let's talk about the team that sits there all alone. Pocket collapses on him. He threw a pick right down the sideline to Cameron Curl. He gets a block from James Smith. Williams, he's still going. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. Touchdown, Washington. Second defensive score of the game for Washington. 
Woo-wee! Cameron Curl jumped the route, gathered the Nick Mullins pass, took it to the house. Washington's second defensive score in the game and a 23-15 win over the 49ers. Yes, Washington now sole possession of first place in the NFC East with three games to play. Mark Chase Young was also a monster in this game. He had the other defensive score. This football team defense wins games. Chase Young, I thought, produced one of the best rookie outings I've ever seen by a a rookie defender. I mean, you could kind of feel this coming at some point for him. He just took over the game. And I think it started early on a play which was real. It showed how kind of mentally tuned in he is, too. With Nick Mullins kind of hanging around in the pocket, Chase Young watched Justin School come at him and basically said, I'm not going to rush the passer. And then, bang, eyes off of Chase Young. He's left alone. He darts at Mullins and dropped him to the turf. And it was, it, you know, they brought it up and showed it on replay a couple times because it was a really interesting uh, approach. He then blew up Jeff Wilson on a forced fumble that gave Washington the ball at San Francisco's 25. At one point, like, Nick Mullins had a weird shuffle pass. Chase Young, like, bent his body to tip it down to the ground, and then the touchdown came, the fumble recovery touchdown for 47 yards, and he did not look like um, a defensive lineman to me running down that sideline. He looked more like a big old running back uh, with wheels. I mean, he's just a next-level athlete. He took them completely out of this game, but because it's the Niners that kind of fought back, and at one point Alex Smith um, suffered a calf injury right before half, so Dwayne Haskins came in, um, did Dwayne Haskins thing, I thought he looked okay on an opening about a 70-something yard drive where they went for a field goal. Um, that helped them out. But then the offense kind of fell apart. They're just not the same offense without Antonio Gibson. They aren't. And they weren't as able to be as creative today. The Niners gutted this out. I mean, I look at this Niners team, and we forked them, and they're gone. But this is a team playing in Arizona Stadium with the Cardinals logo and name in the end zone. I just think it's been as much a bad luck um, a team could face in one campaign the Niners have. Uh, Washington's defense is super legit, and I would give them a chance to win this division if they can get anything out of their offense and if Alex Smith Mm. is healthy. We're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and whether Kyle Shanahan wants to move forward with him. I think they got to redo that quarterback room. Nick Mullins is just... I think he's... he's It's one thing to, like lose everything that they've lost and then you come into the game and you lose Debo and Mo- you lose Debo right away and then you lose Mostert and you're playing this Washington team ultimately like their offense was no different than Washington's offense Washington had the ball 14 times and scored nine points they had 95 <laughs> yards and 35 dropbacks so it's like he's not a, he's I think he's a good backup actually I think he's played fine I really do Nick Mullins has started like 16 games and never thrown for less than 250 yards in any one of them it's the turnovers Right. Um, and, and, yeah, who and cares to, about yards? It's like the, he seems well, to be addicted he, he to atomic productive. mistakes. That's all. I think he's productive, but he, he doesn't protect the ball. But it's the same thing as last week with Debo out. They never really got um, into their flow. Mostert came back, but you know they just it's it's one thing after another with this team. It's like you got four or five guys getting injured every game. Mm. This Washington team, they're they're in first, but how depending how. You know, serious this Alex Smith injury, and even with Alex Smith, I mean, his numbers were even worse than Haskins. Smith dropped back twenty times, had fifty-seven yards, and got sacked and threw a pick. 
So yeah, they, they made life tough on him. I, I think mean, they're going to find you know. a way to get into the playoffs if you know if I if you had to pick one. Uh, but they they are limited. This is the game I'm least looking forward to on Game Pass. Twenty nine drives in this game. Well, it's, no, like this was my anti. Um, I, I wanted it going in, but there was ten minutes left in the second half. While every other game was in halftime, I thought to myself, "What has what has gone on here?" You can sell that one with Chase Young because I watched quite a bit of this game, and and that was as close as you see to Lawrence Taylor. Mm. Exactly, he's beautiful. In a week without, in a year without many great defensive rookies, and even you know Chase Young was you know not productive for a long stretch. I, I think he went two months without a quarterback hit or a sack. This type of game might be enough. If he finishes strong to go get that rookie, I think he's healthy award. now. He had this hip injury. Yep. I mean, he looked he looked healthy. Uh, breaking news here: this from the New York Times. Following years of protests from fans and Native American groups, the Cleveland Indians have decided to change their team name, moving away from a moniker that has long been criticized as racist. Three people familiar with the decision said Sunday, why do I bring it up? Because the move follows a decision by the Washington football team in the NFL in July to stop using a name long considered a racial slur. Uh, And obviously this has all been part of a larger national conversation. A lot of things have changed in 2020. Mm. The Indians now join the Redskins in the dustbin of history. How about that? All it took was Washington being threatened with losing uh, $500 million worth of endorsements, and they're now having like an ownership battle uh, behind the scenes that is in the courts. And now they're in first place. And now they're in first. I think think, think they're keeping that name. They're going to be the football team forever. Uh, All right, let's uh, move on. Let's now move over to the AFC, starting with, yes, the number one seed over in that conference. Left-footed punter taken by Hardman. First time he's going to return today. Oh. And he's got an edge at the 40-45. Hardman in midfield. 45-40. Two blocks, 30. 25. Jet fuel. 15. 10. 5. Get your boarding pass. The jet is taking you to the end zone. Touchdown. Kansas City. Punt return for a touchdown. The first in the career of McCall Hardman to go with his kickoff returns for touchdowns. Mitch Holtis with a call, WDAF. I mean, how crazy is it that the Chiefs offense, they have a guy that they call the Jet, and it's not even Tyreek Hill. That doesn't seem <laughs> fair. Nicole Hardman's 67-yard punt return. The final touchdown in a run of 30 straight points for the Chiefs, who clinched another AFC West title in a 33-27 win over the Dolphins. In the same building where they claimed Super Bowl 54, uh, this February. Greg, the Chiefs started and finished slowly in this game, but that surge in the middle was just too much. Yeah, it reminded me so much of the playoffs last year where they spot, you know, an opponent 10 points, but you felt like it might could have been more. Miami missed a kick, and Devontae Parker dropped uh, a potential touchdown. If, you know, you add those up, maybe it was 17 nothing. You somehow forced Patrick Mahomes uh, into three turnovers, uh, one of them, he just dropped a fumble, but t- you know, he throws three interceptions and you still lose. Like you do all these things, right? You have them scrambled. They thought they were going to come with the blitz. They didn't really early in the game. They they're doing a good job. And yet you, you lose going away um, because it's Kansas city. And in, I know like Mahomes maybe lost a little in the MVP race, but he still made, I would say four plays in this game that 
I mean, you just like marvel at that I mean, were just unreal was... throw. I mean, I know, I know he didn't. He had the turnovers, but he also put up 390 yards and just had some unreal plays. Right, and this game is most likely 37 to 10 if Hardman doesn't fumble when they're going in for a score after that safety, and then things changed and give credit to Tua and the Dolphins who showed a lot of fight here, and they're a team that is easy to respect. Uh, but the 33-27 sometimes makes me think that the chiefs have, have reached that level and they're 12 and one, obviously this year. And they, uh, they, what did they go? 12 and four, 13, three last year, won the super bowl, won their last eight games, uh, that they are, they can get bored. And then when, when they get, when they get a little bit of a scare put into them, like a 10, nothing score in this game, they wake up, they just kick ass, uh, for about an hour and a half, uh, real time. And then once they get into that zone, like Greg, you had mentioned on Thursday, it's, it's time for the Chiefs to blow out a team. I think it's because some of their, their focus wanes a little bit sometimes. This is just a wild theory, but it kind of checks out when you watch a game like this. I agree because if you think of the two moments where they went into the, I mean, look, they're trying hard, they're professionals. Of course, they're intense every game. But the the two spots where it was like, ooh, this is the big game for the Chiefs going in, um, that come to mind to me was the Ravens in week two or three and the Bucks, uh game where they both come out and they blow the doors off. When they are needing to be at their very best, they are. And Miami fans are probably saying, but we didn't have all of our players. And that is totally worth um, pointing out. Not only did they lose Miles Gaskin, who's been great for them uh, when he's played right before the game with COVID-19, they didn't have Kyle Van Noy, uh, who was Defensive Player of the Week last week. They didn't have a Landon Roberts. And then they lose Devontae Parker uh, and Jakeem Grant in this game. Yeah, he, like, Tua had played fairly well. This was a game I appreciated having Tony Romo on the call because I think he helped point out the ways that Tua played well. I'm not saying he was like great, but he does a lot of uh, good things for a rookie. And so I, this wasn't a discouraging game, I don't think, for Tua. Did you mention Jacecki? And he, yeah, he left late. He had a nice game before that, he and yeah, really he hurt his shoulder. He he hurt his shoulder, and if that's serious, that's really going to hurt him too uh, in the fourth quarter. So that that was rough when it came to the Dolphins. You could point to Miami though as the team that um, has people that gave Mahomes issues in the past when they faced New England. Some of those people are in Miami, and they gave him trouble today. I mean, it, I think it's very easy to decipher the difference between these two teams and the tiers between them, but. Um, this is what Miami does every week. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but they cause all sorts of problems with people that most people hadn't heard of a year or two years ago. So I, you know, I stick with what kind of I was saying on Thursday. I think they're really well coached. I said they were up for anything. Anything means oh. um, playing well and then losing too. So that that is something that they were up for today. But um, I oh, you I meant we, literally anything. Oh, well, any, up for anything. It's yeah. like you you don't come in with a hard Got agenda, it. and they they you know. But I I do. Um, I do think the future is very bright. Every week they seem to game plan well for the team that they're playing. Not just, hey, we're going to stick everyone into what we do, the same thing every week. They seem flexible on that front. Um, I had some hope that they were going to hang around in this thing, but the Chiefs, man, when they hit that gas pedal, like you're saying, Dan, night's out. It's all over. Goodbye. Wes, um, I like talking 80s baseball with you. Uh, It's so great to have a lefty quarterback back in the league. Boomer Esiason was one of my favorite players ever Uh, I'm sure he has a special place in your heart as well and now I think part of what I like about too is not just that he's a lefty because there's been plenty of crummy lefty quarterbacks Uh, it doesn't it has to be more than that it I just like his throwing motion and how fluid he is it reminds Mm -hmm. me of like Will Clark remember that beautiful sweet lefty stroke of Will the Thrill 
Uh, Absolutely. Sometimes with lefties, and there's a little bit of lefty jealousy, anybody that's played sports um, can attest to, it just looks better. And it just looks so good coming out of Tua's arm. He's just he's such an athlete uh, and a great thrower of the football. Will Clark, baseball's greatest red ass. He was Wasn't an all-time he meant to be a, a total jerk? Well, he's a red ass, which is different, but in the same category. In the 30 for 30, they describe his red ass as he'd go and play you in poker and not even care if he won or not, just as long as he could tell you at the end of the game that he beat your ass in poker, even if he lost money. He just wanted to win. Just so he could All the shut overseas listeners face. are like, what is a red ass? You must look it up on Urban Dictionary. AJ Przinsky, a great red ass. It's like our, our cock, the, the Cockney section of our audience, apparently. <laughs> Pete Rose, uh, a red ass. Oh, all-timer. Any any other thoughts on this game, Wes? Did you uh, track this one at all? I did, and I, I would push back a little bit on saying that Tua played well. Tua played well in the second half. I thought he was not ready for prime time in the first half, and that was when they had a chance to really stomp on the Chiefs when the defense was making all those plays. It looked to me like one team had a great offense and the other team was still learning to find its sea legs. Right, And that's not to say that the two is not going to grow every week. In fact, he grew throughout the game, and that's a very promising sign. But I thought that the difference in the game was that the Dolphins' offense wasn't ready to compete in the first half. No. I, when Parker dropped that touchdown, I thought, like, they're not going to win this game. they got to play close to perfect. And uh, when, you're, when your leading receivers are Lynn Bowden and Matt Collins, and your leading running back is DeAndre Washington, and you're 8-5 and five and in the playoff race, it's like, okay, I mean, just let's, let's try to win some games. Congratulations for being competitive and move forward. Maybe a big game against the Patriots next week uh, for the Dolphins. It feels like Tua like, improves because uh, he seems to have these sort of halves where he vanishes. When he's kind of like fancy free and they're just kind of going for it. Well, he's not that he's- physically gifted. And so that is a tough thread, I think. Not to cut you off. Sorry, Mark. Um, it's okay. I, I just mean like if he's relying on going through his progressions and his eyes and stuff like that, that's like advanced stuff for a rookie to have to try to like really look great. And everyone is talking TJ Watt, Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett, defensive player of the year. Xavier Howard now has nine interceptions and five picks in the last five weeks. That's pretty damn good. And one of the best. Interception was insane. Insane. Pretty damn good. to pull off what he was doing. That was one-on-one coverage against Tyreek Hill, and he came up with that pick. All right. Uh, in other playoff matters in the AFC. They'll sweep it right side of Jonathan Taylor. Huge hole. 45, 50, 45, 40, down the far sideline. Out sprinting everybody. 10, 5, Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. A 62-yard run for the rookie out of Wisconsin. His longest rush of the season. And now the Colts lead it 26 to 17. Matty Taylor. W-F-N-I. Johnny Taylor, have a day. The rookie running back rushed for two scores, including that 62-yard breakaway dash and the Colts' 44-27 win over the fading Raiders in Vegas. Indy was dominant on offense in this one, piling up nearly 300 yards by halftime, finishing with uh, over 450 yards total in a win that keeps them tied with the Titans atop the AFC South with three weeks to play. Um, Meanwhile... 
uh, for the Raiders. That's three consecutive lackluster performances, two of them losses. Probably should have lost the Jets game as well. And uh, the Raiders, they look a lot like the John Gruden team that limped to the golf course mm. last December. And it, it seemed like this year was going to be different, uh, but I don't think it is. Hmm. Jonathan Taylor is interesting. When Cam Newton got COVID, came back, and, and really hasn't been the same quarterback he was earlier in the year, Jonathan Taylor comes back from COVID and plays lights out. He played way better in the last few weeks than he did before he had COVID. What's up with that? So you, you're coming up with a theory that the COVID helped him. I have. He not, does look better. He do, he is running like crazy. It's not a hard theory, it doesn't sound like, but it's percolating in Wes's mind. I, it could be like he's just decided, okay, I've just had a life and death experience. Let's just forget all these things that don't matter at all. Push all these self-doubts out the window and go play like I know how to play. Mm. How different they are when their ground game is doing what it's doing. I mean, they scored on seven of eight drives before they, you know, took a knee to end the thing. Um, Philip Rivers, I think, in the last four or five weeks, has produced maybe three of his best games, and um, it gives you some hope. I mean, my, I was ready to count them out because of their offense seems so limited, but suddenly T.Y. Hilton has risen from the dead. So you know, there's a couple factors at play here. I mean, they're going to win 11 games. They don't feel quite like an 11-5 team. I'm with you. But they do deserve they, – they are a tough offense, I think, to prepare for, and they definitely have players on defense, and they're going to win 11 games. Like, signing Phillip Rivers, I'm ready to say, is an unqualified success. What else were you going to do? Uh, you, you could have signed Cam Newton, for instance, and it probably would have been a huge mistake. Uh, and a lot of people thought that the Colts should have went that direction. And yes, I think Rivers and I was one of many people that had some reservations whether this was going to work, uh, but he has been, for the most part, very good for them. But the Jonathan Taylor situation and Naheem Himes, who's a nice guy in the mix as well, that's so important for them. I, I mean, I view them obviously as a tier below the true contenders. I think that I like the Titans better than them, but I maybe the Colts are, have more balance ultimately, but the Titans are just a little bit of a higher ceiling for me. But it wouldn't surprise me if either of those teams uh, end up winning the division. Um, so I like the Colts. I just, I, they're a hard team to kind of fall in love with. Yeah. They showed up though. Between them and the Titans, it's like who's healthier that that week? Right, they're they're sure. both they both have really tough week sixteen games on the road where the Colts are at the Steelers and the Titans are at the Packers. Now a million things can happen, but the other you know spots on the schedule all look pretty doable. Those those teams are both going to the playoffs though, and I, I've sort of I'm not saying it hurts the end of the regular season, but I'm I'm not so sure seeding matters that much. You know, with, there's no home field advantage. Seeding I think it's doesn't, the opponent you get. Like, you right, match like, up well with the opponent, it's just not like, the seed. It, I'm not, you know, it's not, you have a nice moment, you win a division, but whether the, the Colts are the five or the six seed or whether they're the three or the four seed, is it really going to make a big difference in their playoff run? Who the hell knows? Interesting thing happened on the Colts' offensive line early in this game. So Anthony Costanzo, who sprained his uh, MCL on his knee a couple weeks back, he returned to the lineup. Leaves the game after a series. They put in a person named Chaz Green oh, no. uh, as his replacement. And, I mean, some people, and I mean no disrespect to the Green family, uh, but sometimes you just know it's not going to work out. Chaz Green is not going to be a great blindside protector for Phillip Rivers. And, indeed, he wasn't. In fact, he was so bad uh, in his one series that they pulled him out of the game. So Frank Reich said, uh, Quentin, 
and put Quentin Nelson at left tackle for a little bit until Costanza came back in the game. Hmm. Uh, what, what were you, you had? A, you had a Chaz Green take there, Wes? Oh, I mean, this is the guy Adrian Claiborne took down eight sacks on. He he's proven by he's the guy who single handedly sabotaged the Colts' offense last week when he had to play. Well, the Cow- Cowboys fans still call that the Chaz Green game. There's, it was that Falcons game, yeah, where he just, that was it. There's first string, there's second string, <laughs> there's legacy. third string, and then there's Chaz Green string, oh. which is off the roster. Oh, no. Kenny Moore had an incredible Odell Beckham Jr.-like interception uh, in this game. And the Colts defense, in general, that's one of the things that they do well. They forced three more turnovers. They have 22 this season. So, you know, they ball hawk a bit on defense, and Rivers can carve you up if you protect them still, and T.Y.'s getting hot. And if the running game gets going, okay. I can T- talk myself into these couple split, of Split with the Titans, beat the Packers, beat the Raiders. They've ultimately done what they needed to do uh, to get to the dance. All right. What was I going to say? What's, what's Mark smiling about? What's I don't know. What's Greg's up, uh, Greg's just I, I appreciate Greg's zeal for these playoff races where this yeah. is the point of the year where there are three or four teams that are going to make the playoffs that I, I've not been as vocal this time around I just simply don't buy at any level Colts are one of them I think they're tough but um, Greg is, seems to be more into the who gets in how does it happen mathematically they're all special and like some of them to me are <laughs> special in a different way not, and some of them are not special at all right exactly. now if you, th- if you feel good about putting the Browns in the playoffs, and you probably should, and you feel good about the Colts... Well, you don't feel good about that, but, I mean, if you're going to look at it mathematically, you should. What do you mean? They're 9-3. Ooh, well, because you're on a uh, big lock-off Monday night. What a night They'll that's be fine. Gonna be. They're we'll going to get beat on Monday, and they'll be okay. 9-4. and four, just They can take a out. loss and survive. Browns, Colts, slash Titans, the other wild card. That leaves one more, so it's going to come down to the Dolphins, the Ravens. And you, I mean the Raiders are deep in the, the Raiders. Now. The Raiders play two of those teams. I think. I, I think they play the Dolphins and someone else. <laughs> and your Patriots and, mm. and Rosenthal's just happy he didn't have to do the recap with anyone else. He could do it with his own little private hive on Thursday night. So good for him. Um, all right, let's talk about the Titans. <laughs> Just waiting for Greg to return fire. Nothing. Gonna run Henry at right guard. Big hole. Thirty. 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, end zone. The Yuli Bulldozer. <laughs> Touchdown, Titans! The Yuli Bulldozer. I like that. Mike Keith, of course. The great Mike Keith. WGFX. Derrick Henry ran for 215 and two touchdowns, and the Tennessee Titans dominated Jacksonville 31 10. That's 12 straight losses for the Jaguars who stank. Mark. When Henry gets into the gets into the zone, the zone that he's in now, and it's usually in December, there's no one in football quite like him. No, and it seems to, in some of these games, happen in the first half, and you can tell right away um, that he's in that zone, that he's dialed in, and a team like the Jaguars has literally no chance. I feel like I've watched this Titans game that happened <laughs> right. today about six times because it's the same thing. It's one or two magical shots to A.J. Brown. It's a lot of Henry, and it's simply over by halftime. You've left the team that you're playing so flummoxed, and I think in this game, the defense, um, they shut down James Robinson early. They made life real tough on Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon was pulled for Gardner Minshew. Uh, Gardner Minshew brought a little life to the offense. The running game got going, but they were way too deep in a hole for any of that to matter. I mean, this was a game where um, the 
the Jaguars basically, I thought, eight minutes into this thing. Now, I watched every minute of it, but, um, it, you know, I would have bet everything inside of my house um, that they were going to get waxed, and they were waxed. And What's the value get, there? <laughs> I mean, it's not excessive, but I am a Spartan, sort of more of a Spartan-type personality, so it would be doing me a favor on some level just to push all these objects out onto the street. Someone comes by, picks sure. them up, but we have sure. to probably rebuy some stuff. Anyways, I would just boxes. say... That when you're talking about the Colts, like honestly, if someone has a Colts fetish, I would be much closer with that on the Titans. I just think the Titans, when they are on, are unstoppable. Then they'll have a game, you know, a week from now where all these other issues crop up and and they don't get in that flow early and you can nip them. But this team, powerfully, like in terms of pure offensive power, I think can lay it to anyone in the AFC. And the only concern I'd have to be with the same kind of game script we saw against the Chiefs last year. But, I mean, Henry is to, is an MVP candidate to me. I'll say it every week. I just think he is. Henry is 468 yards away from joining the 2000 club. There's only seven can, running backs. He's going to do it, I think. It. Um, Whoa. Four, 468 divided by three. Um, somebody? Somebody? It's like 150 yards or something? He that, needs He needs 100 and... It's like 154. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's say I had it written down yards. somewhere here. Uh, that is obviously uh, within range, and I would not rule it out because, Wes, when this guy gets going and it's this time of year and it's a good Titans team, so you're running the clock a lot, running the ball a lot to run clock and try to close out games, and teams tired and beat up in December, he is such a weapon this time of year. This time of year and on a team with A.J. Brown, and really, Corey Davis has stepped up this year on pace for about 1,000 yards. Um, but A.J. Brown, like, to open that game with that one-handed catch was just phenomenal. That guy seems to get better every week. I still go back and forth among Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, and D.J. Metcalf over who's the best re- receiver in that draft class because they're all three absolute mm. studs, and they mm. changed their offenses. The Titans' offense is pretty loaded. It it is, good. Right. and they're also different, which I think helps. That there's really not many power running teams like them, and there's certainly not two guys on the outside. Not it's not like these little guys in the slot. Humphreys, I think, is now out for the year. Actually, it's two guys on the outside. One of which, Corey Davis, as you mentioned, came into the game with more more numbers than AJ Brown this year, which I think would surprise a lot of people that Davis has been that good. He's not the number one receiver, I don't think, but to, for him to go one thousand, one thousand, they're tough to prepare for. It was Henry's fourth game with at least two hundred yards and two scores. That sets an NFL record that he had previously held with Hall of Famers. Listen to these names: Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Ladainian Tomlinson. He's a Hall of Fame level player. Now he just yep. needs the longevity, and I guess that's the that's the hardest part. But two thousand yards, you put that on the resume too, and we are flying, Wes. I mean, well, we're, we're flying. A man of history. You're gonna they put him back in there. They put him back in there to get the two hundred. That kind of thing when he's getting these twenty six carries, thirty carries. He's he seems indestructible, but I don't know. That worries me a little bit. Also, he's run over a hundred yards in nine straight road games. Like who does this? That's, that's crazy. Awesome. All right. Let's uh, now dig into some uh, more grisly affairs on the schedule. Quick toss near side ball is <laughs> caught into the end zone. It's Disley. <laughs> no selling Touchdown! this. Seahawks! Play fake to Carlos Hyde. Will Disley comes across into the right flat, makes the catch, turns upfield. 
And welcome back, Uncle Will. Touchdown, Seahawks, 29-3 now. Seattle over the Jets. Yes, Russell Wilson threw four touchdown passes, including that dart to Will Disley before giving way to the legend, Geno Smith. Geno Smith revenge game late in the third quarter. The Seahawks laughed their way to a 40-3 win over the Jets at the stadium, formerly known as the Clink. We knew this game would be a shameless blowout, but that almost doesn't give it enough credit for the total absence of competition in this one. This was not an NFL game. This was this was um, the Seattle Seahawks against you know Our Ladies of Perpetual Misery, you know, based in Hoboken. Like there was, this was not a real game, and uh, and and get credit to Pete Carroll for understanding that. So that's why he got Russell Wilson out of the game in the third quarter. Jamal Adams chased Sam Darnold out of, out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage, which gave him uh, eight and a half sacks, which gives him the record for defensive backs in a season. Then they got him out of the game. It was basically a, gor- a glorified exhibition for Seattle. The only thing missing was the fans to enjoy it all. Mm. Uh, you could tell the Seahawks players certainly did. So they keep pace uh, with the Rams, and they have a trip to Washington next week, and then a big showdown with the Rams in Week 16. The only tension here was, was Pete Carroll going to let Gino throw it there in the uh, red zone? I had to flip it over to see what was going to happen. But Incredible. They, like, this is a big they like ran it on third and goal at the 10. I was like, come on, let Gino cook. <laughs> I mean, I he, went, he went four for five, 33 yards. You know, they went down the field. Let him try to get a touchdown. Come What's on. his revenge for, by the way? Like utterly flopping as a second round pick? I don't know what the well, I think revenge like aspect hit, is. Him and the head coach going back and forth publicly ever ever since, you know. I guess, yeah, he would want revenge on Rex, but Rex yeah, is ancient Rex. history, yes. obviously, there. So, like a game like this, I don't know how much to take out of it for Seattle. All I can tell you is that. Uh, you know, it's a nice little uh, get-right game. There is an issue there on the offensive line. Brandon Shell, um, he returned from a high ankle sprain in this game, but then he left at halftime and, and didn't return. Carroll said that Shell tweaked it a couple times, uh, so you have to watch that uh, in terms of them because the offensive line hasn't always been there, been there for them. And uh, the Jets, of course, are now 0 and 13. Jacksonville seems committed to this, uh, so it might take 0-16 to get the number Mm. one overall pick, which is obviously not ideal. I've looked at the schedule for both teams. Uh, My my greatest hope, I guess, is the Jaguars uh, have the Bears. Uh, The Bears are playing better the last couple weeks. But when I looked at this a couple weeks ago, I said, okay, could the Jaguars, especially if your boy Minshew is as great as everybody thinks, can can they knock off the Bears and Trubisky uh, to finish two and fourteen? Doesn't seem impossible. You know, you need to get on the Minshew bandwagon. He gives them a better chance to win, and you can you can you can yeah. lace in all the little uh, slights that you wish, but he's going to give you what you want so that you have a quarterback that you. I can, thought the Jaguars you know, were tanking. Why was he even about? playing this week? Uh, what happened to that narrative? Well, I don't think the coaches are tanking. I mean, we've, I think we've established, like, the front office could probably say we'd like to see this person. But you think Doug Marone's thinking, I want to tank so I can get fired and the next coach can get a great quarterback? Like, I well, don't I think was the one saying that's why it wasn't a tank. It wasn't a tank situation. I'm just saying, now Minshew... I'd say the same for Adam Gase, though, that Adam Gase just simply isn't talented. I mean, Adam Gase isn't part of some deep state plot to tank the Jets and then, you know, receive offshore money right. somewhere. Maybe he is. That Maybe the Jets are plan. tanking by keeping Joe Flacco on the bench. 
let's see their best quarterback in New York. Why did we need to see three games of Mike Lennon to prove that he's still Mike Lennon? <laughs> well, we did. I, At yeah. least the C- – hey, if I was a Seattle fan, they – I think there is a difference between their defense right now, and I know it's the Jets, but it's like the Jets just put up a ton of yards and points against the Raiders, who are a dog defense. This this is the type of thing that dog defenses don't do. They just throttle one of the you know the worst team in the league. So I think they they are making some progress on that side. Well, they lead the te- the league in sacks since Week Nine going into this this week. Seahawks, yeah. I mean, it's not coming from places you'd expect. It's not your ed- your number one dominating edge rusher, but they've they've found a way to make it happen. All right, so if Minshew is indeed a big upgrade, can you guys give me one win at Ravens, home Bears, at Colts? Can you give me one? Whew, that's a tough slate. They did beat the Colts in week one, and they know them well. Um, but I think the Bears, you're right, is their best bet there. Yes or no? Can you give me a win? What or do I have games? to go 0-6? I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> at Ravens, home Bears, at Colts. <laughs> Give me one. I mean, I, I'm arguing that Gardner Minshew is the best option for them and a 10-year backup. I don't think he can win games alone. Um, they're going to need a lot to go right. I mean, they, they haven't allowed less than 21 points since like week one or something. So their defense is the bigger issue, not just which quarterback starts. I mean, the Jets are going to take this thing home unless the, Patri- the Patriots week 17 feels like the only way that they're getting. They're possibly even going to get one enjoy all your little jet digs and slights because it's gonna change sooner than you think we're not digging on them mark my words we've been like totally respectful to the jets this during a tough season (laughs) i don't know who you're talking who are you talking to yourself enjoy it while you can let's move on Mitch Trubisky no, goes in with shotgun, drags a receiver in motion to the right, out of the gun, he sticks it in the belly of Montgomery, a crack turns into a canyon out to the outside left, at the 40, 45 to the 50, nobody's going to get him, 20, 15, 10, 5, skipping into the end zone, David Montgomery, a first snap, 80-yard gallop for six, and the Bears lead the Texans on their first snap of the game offensively. Oh, Jeff Joniak, WBBM. David Montgomery set the tone with a long TD run, and Mitchell Trubisky threw three touchdown passes. His first matchup opposite Deshaun Watson as the Bears stomped the Texans 36-7, ending a six-game losing streak. Uh, Greg, I know the Texans are missing many of their playmakers at this juncture, but did, did Mitch really outplay Deshaun in this one? Did that happen today? Sure. I guess. I guess it was a good pick by Ryan Pace. After all. <laughs> I mean, um, I take it back. All that Bring criticism. everyone back. They have scored uh, 10 straight touchdowns in the red zone, the Chicago Bears. How about that? Wouldn't have expected that. I mean, this was more about the Texans' defense, but absolutely uh, Mitch and Nagy were on some 2018 stuff where, where guys were open and they moved the ball very well. I didn't think Watson actually played pretty well um, for a while in this game, despite the score. But he was just holding the ball, waiting for some receiver to come open. And, uh, you know, when Chad Hansen is your number one, Brandon Cooks was a late scratch for this game. So remember how we were like, well, you know, this Texans receiver courts, you know, they don't have DeAndre, but they've got four pretty good guys. That was like three weeks ago. They don't have any of those four guys. (laughs) So it was rough. They're all gone. The Bears sacked Watson seven times including a safety by Khalil Mack, you know, on the same day that Rosenthal was burying Khalil Mack on Twitter. So maybe that was a response. It was a bad job. Uh, 
I just noted he hasn't been that productive here with uh, the quarterback hits and sacks. I wish I had added Robert Quinn into that mix. It's just they have the highest paid defensive and, you know, tandem in the league. And I think they have a combined 15 sack, you know, quarterback hits and sacks. Quinn has three and, and Mack had 12. But Mack had a nice forced fumble early in this game, which kind of set the tone. He got the safety, his best game in a while. Allen Robinson played one of the best games of his career. He was awesome. And the Bears aren't out of it. They play the Vikings next week. If they hadn't blown that Lions game in horrific fashion, they'd be 7-6 and six and, and tied for that last spot right now. But that Bears-Vikings game is basically an elimination game, and one of those two teams next week is going to get to 7-7 seven and seven and, and still be in the mix, whether we like it or not. I mean, this is what they were meant to be, and I'd start with someone like David Montgomery that everyone I know that's a Bears fan has been telling me how great he is, and um, it's like, okay, he's been productive the last couple of weeks, but here's a, a, a little bit of a fly in the ointment. Your head coach didn't he give up play calling here, I mean, it's Bill Lazor making these calls, but why designing is a, this offense. They have been better, and Montgomery has run better. He has, better but it's like, Lazor. but it, like, is it a great selling point that the coach you brought in to run a high-powered offense it become becomes high-powered for the first time in like 700 sundowns since uh, he stopped calling the plays? It just seems like a little bit of a tough. Easy. Navigational point. Take what you can get at this point. I mean, they, they were going to get kicked. You know, that was going to be the last. It still might be the last three games of Matt Nagy, but whatever gets it done. If it's the it's Lasers also, show. You're playing against the Houston Texans, who have been the worst run defense all year long. You're right. That that helped. But no, he he, he really has run. I, I thought he was like getting to be a capital B bust. And he's run well the last four weeks. He's made people miss. Um, he's made some good reads. Uh, the low point, I think, of a pretty low Texan season was Romeo Cornell telling the sideline reporter coming out of halftime that they were lucky to only be down 23 to Mitchell Trubisky. It's like, oh, man, man, we're lucky Oof. to be down 23. Yikes. Um, and since people like to do this, and we brought up Khalil Mack, who won the trade? Everybody wants to always know who won the trade. I don't know. Uh, so the Bears in that famous trade with the Raiders uh, back in twenty. 20- 18, I guess it was. They got Khalil Mack, a 2020 second-round pick, which became Cole Komet. They got a seventh-round pick in 2020 that was a lineman named Arlington Hambright. And then they gave up a first-round pick in 2019 that became Josh Jacobs. They gave up a sixth-round pick that became, I guess, was traded away. Uh, they gave, they got a uh, first-round pick, Damon Arnett, cornerback, the Raiders and the Raiders also drafted Brian Edwards in the third round, 81st overall. So like, and then the bears gave Cleo Mack a massive extension. So who won that trade Wes so far? Who, who yeah. knows? Who cares? Is it, it feels like it's, it, I mean, it feels like it's neutral. It feels like, not a I feel winner. like the bears did because they had a, you know, Mack was the key in them having a chance. Like I it, he did everything they needed to do the first two years of those that deal. Right. If not for double was... doink, he's taking them to the Super Bowl. But it was bad. It was bad. He's taking. I mean, that was a first round game. You think the ba- Mitchell Trubisky's going to the Super Bowl? Why not? Yeah. Well, he's wow. taking them to the next round of the playoffs. How about that? It's because yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying that. If Mitchell Trubisky's one double doink from the Super Bowl, give him an extension. He's still young. We got a shot. Here. <laughs> he has. He has Move played on. a little bit better and. Uh, <laughs> Like I said, it's 
they not only do they have the Vikings, but they have the Jaguars after that. The Bears are not quite out of this if they could somehow beat the Vikings. I mean, Trubisky has is building himself, um, not unlike the Colt McCoys of the world, like a ten year career. I mean, he won't be a starter, but he'll make excellent money, and there'll be some seasons where he doesn't play at all and lives in a gigantic house in like outer Indianapolis or um, Los Angeles. It could be a beautiful future. You're kind of like our beat guy, Mark, for who's going to have 10-year backup careers. Well, I mean, you it's a very attractive concept. Uh, let's move on. It's a very attractive on. concept. Outer Indianapolis. What's Matt Flynn up to these days? <laughs> I want to be the emergency COVID for You made that money. Kick is up, and it is good. Chargers win. Mike Badgley with the game-winning field goal. Yeah, good for money. KYSR. Because all season long, when there's been big moments at the end of the game, there's some shenanigans with game officials or something otherwise that gets messed up and he's unable to make a clean call. There, he's able to do it. Uh, Charger special teams get the glory in this one. Michael Badgley drilled a 43-yard kick as time expired. The Chargers bounce back from that humiliation uh, last week against the Patriots with a 2017 road win over the Falcons. They don't even get music. That's, that's how sad this Chargers song season has become. Los Angeles put itself in position for the game-winning kick because Michael Davis picked off Matt Ryan with 36 seconds to play. Greg, I bet this one felt good for Anthony Lynn. It had to have, especially after all the focus um, on his game management struggles, which probably reached the nadir uh, at the end of the first half which one of one, one of the biggest fiascos i've ever seen they just left points on the field so to get a win in a game where it looked like justin herbert had just given it away a moment after matt ryan had just given it away in the final four minutes alone the falcons were in field goal range ryan throws an interception Herbert gets the ball back, throws an interception, and then Matt Ryan gets him back into field goal range and throws an interception right back. And then Herbert, without uh, Keenan Allen on the field, does move it down the field with one of uh, the prettiest throws you'll see to set up that field goal. So it's nice for the Chargers to have nice things finally. That was embarrassing at halftime. That was tough. What? To uh, paint the picture, it was 22 seconds left, third and one inside the 10. I think it was about at the eight-yard line. And they come out of a timeout and they and they run the ball with no timeout and and then there's no there's confusion and they and they don't decide what they're gonna do and it takes too long and then they run the field goal kicker onto the field too late and so there's twenty two seconds left at the eight yard line and all they got was uh, a gain of no you know, no gain out of it. They never got the field goal attempt, they never got a chance. Oh it was it was tough. This was after Anthony Lynn had taken over special teams duties. Sure. Well, I'm oh still God. really. Although to, to his name. credit, that was this was easily their best special teams day of the year. They had a nice uh, kick return, and they could get the kick uh, game winning touchdown here. Are these? Is this, does this team not employ the same uh, department that 31 other teams appear to employ that tell you like do this with a minute and a half? Well, like, I don't essentially know. If- like Greg in your ear. I don't know if Herbert changed the play because Lynn acted like you can't run in that situation as if he, like, didn't know what was happening. But even then, your team needs to be well coached of, like, what happens right here. 22 seconds is plenty, actually, um, to run a play and then run the field goal team on if things go wrong. And they just were totally unprepared. Um, But, hey, the Falcons were even worse. 
There's no, this, no um, points after halftime. Ryan got picked off three times. He had eight interceptions the whole season, and he got picked off three times in a row in the second half. If you ever watch that Belichick Saban HBO documentary, don't imagine that will be queued up immediately for this evening. But there's like a three minute uninterrupted clip of Belichick gathering like 15 players around him and quizzing these like freaked out offensive linemen on situational football. And they are not they're not breaking that huddle until everyone gets it right. And it's all these little things that get under your skin every week, Greg. All right. It is time. It is that time of Sunday night where one handsome bald man is replaced by another. Nick Shook jumps on now, and uh, he will take the baton from the great Chris Wessling. Wes, any uh, parting words for tonight? I'll leave the show in good hands with my boy, Nick Shook. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) You could hear the confidence and the gravitas in Wes's voice. Yes. Chris, thank you. You are a warrior, and we love you. See you, Wes. Feeling is mutual. Hi, See you all. All right. All right. Now, with Shook on board, let us hit the final two games ahead of Sunday Night Football. Very high kick. Spencer settles underneath it at the 17, avoids one tackle, runs into a blocker, and now he's loose. Spencer on the 25-30. Here we go, 35-40. Spencer foot race, 45 midfield, 40, 35-30. Deontay Spencer, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Denver. Hello. Deontay Spencer got things going for the Broncos with a long punt return for a score. And Drew Locke was, well, you know, locked in, throwing four touchdowns and a 32-27 win over the Panthers, who have dropped seven of eight. Shook, Drew Locke played like a guy who wanted Broncos fans back in his corner for another offseason. Yeah, he had a nice little second half there, too. Uh, really pushed the ball on the field and, and helped the offense put some points on the board. But I tell you what, man, there were a couple times there where they, they tried to give it away. Uh, I got to credit their defense for playing pretty pretty solidly in the first half uh, and limiting what Carolina could do and really frustrating them while allowing Drew Locke the time necessary to uh, build a little bit of a lead. You know, at one point it was 19-7. to He hooked up with K.J. Hamler for a couple of long touchdowns. It's nice to see him get involved as a rookie. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a return to the promise that you would see out of Drew Locke. I mean, he had a, a fantastic stat line, 21-27, 280 yards, four touchdowns, a passer rating near 150. Uh, that's what you want out of a guy who you think is supposed to be your quarterback of the future, which he has not looked like um, for a good amount of this season prior to this week. So, you could call it a lucky draw with Carolina, but Carolina's been a scrappy bunch for the majority of this season, so it's not like it was just a uh, an, a, an easy game to play, uh, and he did well. well. I get I get worried about these late um, December games where a quarterback of high suspicion um, goes nuts, and then everyone inside the organization starts <laughs> to think like maybe we need to dig back in. But it is you know like any any signs of life from Denver's offense. Um, is intriguing just because we had such high hopes of what happened with Teddy Bridgewater here at the end though I saw a lot of comments from Rule about he took a delay of game penalty and then he he rushed for on a he rushed on a third down right before the two minute warning and it kind of deep six them when they when mm. it's not how Matt Rule wanted to organize those final few minutes of the game there yeah and then on fourth down he, he had a one yard pass to to Curtis Samuel fourth and eight. Uh, that, that's not going to get the job done. So it was a tough day for Teddy. I know statistically he looks fairly solid, 30-40, but 
there were a lot of times there, whether it was the pressure that Denver was bringing or just decision-making, he just didn't look like he was in a situation where he didn't look like he was comfortable um, uh, for most of the game, wasn't in much of a rhythm for most of the game, even though you know they managed to make it close at the end. Um, it was just it just wasn't his best outing, I think, of this year. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, we talked with our, our editor, David Ely, um, you know, known Panthers fan. Uh they are going to be in the market for, I think, a quarterback in the draft in the first three rounds. Uh, right, going forward, it's, it's it's this is not a long term plan for them. But that was that I think based on his contract, he was the actually the lowest paid veteran quarterback, like with a multi year deal. I think that was always the plan, and if he surprised them, um, then they could change it. And he has guaranteed money almost all of it into next year, so he's going to be there next year with someone else. But he's played much more poorly over the, his last four games. This has been a trend. Uh, he, he's been struggling. He's had the, the, the Panthers have had the ball a ton uh, with the ball, with the chance to win. And, they, man, they almost like they never win. They were 3-2 and two at one point. And they just, it's been kind of a snake-bitten season for them. Yeah, whether they leave it up to Joey Sly to try to hit a record-breaker uh, right. of a field goal. <laughs> every or, week, or, every yeah. week. Exactly, or they end up, you know, with the ball in Teddy's hands and he can't execute it's one thing or another. It's kind of annoying, though, because you do see the potential of Joe Brady's offense. It's just, it has to be yeah. executed better. It's, it's they set the right. groundwork. No one was, you know, it, it was disappointing how it's gone, but they've set the groundwork. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Matty Rule was pretty pumped up about it. It could have been coach speak, but he was pretty pumped about Teddy Bridgewater entering the season. I would think if you asked him privately, he would tell you he's a little disappointed how this played out because I don't know if the salary, they got him at a good value for obvious reasons with Teddy's background, um, but I think they thought maybe they, they were going to get a little bit more. Is that fair to say? Maybe, but I think the first half of the season, if anything, I mean, you couldn't have said he was below any expectations. No, he was fine. So yeah. that it's really, yeah, these last, he's kind of taken on water a little bit down the street. Their offense has been watchable. Much more so than I think I thought or many others did going into the year. Their wide receivers have been good. Christian McCaffrey missed his 10th game in 11 games. Quad injury, suffered during the bye week, aggravated it in Wednesday's practice. That has been a major issue for him. He's going to end up missing almost the entire year after having that record-breaking season. So that needs to be uh, uh, talked about, too, when you're talking about Teddy because he thought he was going to have the best running back in the league on his side, and he really hasn't. All right, let's roll on. Snap to Dalton, throws it right to slant to Cooper at the goal line, and he's got it for the Cowboys touchdown. Brad Sham, the Sham God, KRLD. This was not an Andy Dalton revenge game. There was no revenge to be had for Dalton against the Bengals, but I'm sure it felt good for the veteran QB to throw for two scores, including that connection to Mari Cooper, and a 30-7 win shook. The Cowboys looked like a defeated team on Tuesday night. They showed some fight here. Yeah, you know, it always helps when you run into the Bengals, who are quarterbacked by Brandon Allen. Um, you know, they didn't have all that much fight in them themselves. Uh, they didn't help themselves at all either by fumbling the ball away uh, three times in the first two quarters. Uh, they had three total turnovers in the game, but they dug themselves a hole, and it kind of made things easier for Andy Dalton. You know, it's not like the pressure was really on him. Their first score of the game, their first touchdown of the game, was a fumble return for a touchdown by Alden Smith. So um, mm. it was 10 nothing before, kind of before you knew it, and Andy didn't, Dalton didn't really have to do much of the work to get there. And then you kind of let the Bengals just 
you know, trip over themselves a few times. I mean, they're still a, a couple years away, and they're much worse without Joe Burrow. I mean, he was really elevating them before he got hurt. T. Higgins had a little bit of a rough day. He had five catches for 49 yards, but he had a couple drops, and it was really like the type of drop that it wasn't a contested catch. It's just like his mind wasn't completely there. He just mm-hmm. wasn't fully focused on hauling the pass, and I think that's where the Bengals are at this point. So while we thought the Cowboys were also at this point, the Cowboys are still the more talented team. And when you get two teams that run into each other like that, and maybe they have a little bit of a source of motivation for you know to get their backup quarterback a win uh, in the place that he used to call home, this is usually the type of result you see. And it was just uh, the 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 difference, the the margin of victory was it was multiplied by those turnovers, those mistakes that the Bengals made. So it wasn't necessarily the most unwatchable game, but it was a very lopsided game for the majority of it. And every time you know you got three games on at once, every time I would turn and watch a player or two, I just found myself chuckling at, at what was going on on the field, usually when the Bengals had the ball, because it was just like, oh man, like the, the end sign. of the season cannot come fast enough for this team. I, I know this is, I think it's because of COVID is a big part of it, but man, it feels like it's been week 17 for some of these teams already for a couple weeks. Like it, football season's like that, like it's long, the winter comes, there's injuries, like they take, uh, you know, they get, t- but it's come early. I mean, this is why you're making the big bucks, Shook, coming in. I know you saw Cowboys-Bengals on the schedule, and you say they're going to give me this game, yeah. and I'm going to have to make it sing, and I'm going to because I'm Nick and Shook. <laughs> it's funny, I was talking with Elia yet about game assignments, and I was like, well, in, in the early window, it's uh, I'm, I'm going to go down to Cincinnati and catch that uh, Dalton Revenge game for the guys <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> right, so he, let- does he play ball with you, or is he is he – doing tough managerial stuff oh no oh no we play ball what it is is i'll pick the lead game that i really want and then i go bounce back with what you guys want and then i just (laughs) take on like three games at once and we just roll with it yeah i mean that you could put everything on nick shook's shoulders uh humor me for a second the cowboys and let's give cowboys a little bit credit because we were all talking about on wednesday and even troy aikman was crying in his soup about this but what happened to the cowboys they're not even trying the season's a disgrace and then they they can at least get off the mat and beat up on a team, which I wouldn't even have assumed they could have done that. Uh, so they did do that. They're 4-9. They have three games left. Listen, I'm not saying I'm in on the Cowboys. I'm just saying. Home 49ers, winnable. The Niners are, you know, not having a good year. Home Eagles. I mean, let's not go crazy about the Eagles. At Giants. So you let's say you win out. Unfortunately, Washington has the tiebreaker on you. So you need to win out and then hope Washington collapses and I think that's the path. Not even collapses, just I guess you do. The Washington's six and seven. So they gotta lose out. That's where the Cowboys are right now. I mean, I feel like a nuclear bomb was dropped on that path some time ago. <laughs> I understand the optimism, but I do there see is no opti- Washington, if, if Washington hadn't mind. won today, then you'd yeah. have something. But too bad. They got to win out. Washington's got to lose out. It's yeah. that simple. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure this Cowboys team wants to play an extra game. You'd have to sell me on that first, <laughs> right. and then they also then were outgained by the Brandon Allen Bengals. Even though it was 30 to seven, and I haven't watched this game at all, just looking at that, yeah. I'm gonna say it's, you know they, yeah, they they got a little lucky. It, w- it was as bad as it looked in the score in, in the in the stat sheet. His parents were in the stands; they kept cutting to them. You know, they're wearing their number eight Bengals masks. I was sad for him, but don't they have a paper bag on their head? <laughs> no, that, that'll be the people a section over because of social distancing. Dan, if you if that actually happens, not the whole Washington collapse, but the Cowboys right. winning out, you know you're setting us up for right an what? entire off season of 
the Cowboys are for real. They're getting oh. Dak back. Oh, Super Bowl oh, favorite again, which we've gone through for the last two years. Nick, I, that's I happening either that. way. Yeah, it doesn't matter how the season ends. People will be talking up the Cowboys as a bounce back team. That's come true. next. Oh, Dak's back, and oh, what a great draft! And all it's hard this. to get it, a read it, on perpetual. what they even were last season. Mm, yeah, it's like exactly. it's like Mike McCarthy just paid extra for a PFF Elite account. They're really gonna go far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to Sunday Night Football. Oh, Sunday Night. Make it 273, but he threw a pick. Back the other way from Buffalo. Taron Johnson will score. Touchdown, Bills. Taron Johnson with the pick six of Ben Roethlisberger. Of course, Mike Tirico with the call for NBC. It was the turning point of the night for the Buffalo Bills, who pretty much coast from there. 26 to 15 over the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have now followed 11 consecutive wins to start the season with back to back losses. And that now puts them behind the Chiefs as the number two seed in the AFC. And on the Bills side of things, uh, Shook, more of the same from last week. A lot of good vibes came out of their uh, game last week when Josh Allen was lights out against the Niners, and this was more of a total team effort by the Bills. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the defense creating turnovers, getting stops, and, this, and really from the final moments of the first half all the way through the end of the game, um, a key interception at the end of the game to kind of undercut any uh, comeback hopes for the Steelers. And then, of course, Josh Allen, like you said, just lights out again, and, and you know he's got to be thanking the heavens for that offseason trade for Stephon Diggs, who absolutely torched the Steelers' defense, specifically in that key su- sequence at the end of the second quarter and into the third quarter when they ran out. I think it was 23 unanswered that they scored. Um, you know, it really does wonders when you have a number one receiver, but especially when you have a number one receiver who can hit you in all levels of the field. And Stephon Diggs that did that. Um, you know, his yards after catch had to be astronomical. I haven't seen the exact numbers, but he was great with you know getting open, finding soft spots in the zone, and also picking up the extra yards and really kicking this offense from first gear, struggling to get out of first gear all the way into fifth gear and rolling. And if they play mm. like this going forward, I mean, they're, they're a team to definitely watch. It'd definitely be a tough, uh, tough matchup for other teams. I love that seven-minute drive to end the game. I love yeah. stuff like that. I mean, when, when a team can do that against a number one defense just finish the game with the ball in your hands. Get Mark Sessler, you know, to to the recap. We're all rooting for the Bills to be moving the ball at that time. But that's like, to me, that's it. That's the NFL. Like, that's the point in which your team has basically just exerted its will. And in the second half, the Bills had 231 yards. The Steelers had 80. This game's totally on the Steelers' offense. I know Josh Allen will get a lot of attention, but it was the mismatch of the Bills' defense versus the Steelers' offense that really was decisive. I'm with you. They had 13 drives. Oh, I'll let it play out. <laughs> it's it's no less tedious than it was um, four years ago uh, in the studio. But 13 <laughs> drives. One of them went over 34 yards. Seven of them went under 10 yards. It th- This is not a balanced offense, and this is weeks in a row. Um, and I don't know who body replaced James Conner with... Um, uh, little Jimmy Connor, who's never played a football game, but I mean they they can't they can't establish the ground game. Um, you throw in Deontay Johnson drops. They had drops in their last outing. Um, they just seem out of sync. And I, I get I get that they've transitioned to a quick strike, if you want to call it that, offense with Big Ben. But um, I don't think it's really what 
suits the Big Ben that we knew of old. I mean, it's what he has to do now, but teams are adjusting. I mean, if you can't, like, well, you can't take them seriously on the ground, and, like, their defense played absolutely awesome, I thought, in the first half, but you're going to break a defense when you can't respond. They had their four drives in the second half. Three of them were three and outs. Maybe it was every man tennis star Jimmy Connors, who's who's now the running back. He's about sixty six, which would you know check out for the way uh, anybody in the backfield for the Steelers looks. But it's it's very depressing uh, to watch the Steelers right now on offense uh, because when this quick quick shot attack isn't working, it just feels like such a waste with all the skilled players on the field with. Uh, Deontay Johnson, who I know is having issues with drops, but, you know, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Chase Claypool has become an afterthought in this offense all of a sudden. Oh, by the way, uh, during this run where they're struggling to win games now. So, yes, when it works, the Steelers' offense, out of his hand quickly, get the ball in the hands of the receivers, and they make plays. Uh, Nobody had anything to say, but there there seems something almost pathetic about it for large stretches of this game. And it makes you wonder if if the Steelers offense has the ability to pivot and not obviously go back to the way they were five years ago with Ben Roethlisberger, but to create some balance in the passing attack. So it's not always the same thing over and over because it really is a drag over and over. These little five yard passes, these slants, these screens, just nothing explosive about it. Yeah, but you know what? Bill Walsh built an offense around that, you know, almost 40 years ago. Well, not the, not the version of the Steelers' offense. Yeah, but they had a great, right, though. And the they pro- had a great yeah. running game. And they the had pro- a great running the, game. Yeah, and the problem with that, right. too, is that they're simply not executing on those short passes. Like, you know, the drops. So there was Eric Ebron last week, Deontay Johnson this week, and, and a couple weeks prior. It's it's completely short-circuited their offense. And you're right, Greg. They don't have a running game. You know, we thought last week, well, they didn't have James Conner, so that's why they couldn't run the ball. Well, they had James Conner tonight, and they still couldn't run the football. And they haven't been able to run the ball for a while. It's putting too much pressure on their defense. Like you said, Mark, they had a fantastic first quarter and a half. And really the whole first half. And be- They the- gave up Big 100 Ben's- yards and gave up three points to Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, and- that should be enough to carry you through where you have a chance to win the game. And then Big Ben know. puts it on a platter with the pick six and, and puts them in a hole and they, they never get out of it. I mean, it, from there, it just started an avalanche. I I know that this is something that a lot of people have said, and I know maybe it was an overreaction last week, but the Steelers have not looked like a one seed or a two seed for a while now. And things aren't going to get any easier for them down the stretch heading into the playoffs. I wonder if we're seeing the beginning of a meltdown. Hmm. Well, it all changed after that COVID meltdown. Really, they haven't been the same team since the COVID Wednesday game. It's been three weeks. Right, right. Well, they're, they're in an interesting spot. They'll get the Bengals... And we'll see what happens with the Browns game, like whether, you know, we'll see what happens with the Chiefs. I I don't think a two game losing, I don't like count them out of it. I don't think they can, I think they can rebound. Their defense has to be so dominant though. And now when you, when you don't have Hayden, Bush has been gone a while, Vince Williams and Dupree. I mean, that's now four of your key guys. It's not just like one or two. Now, hopefully you get, you know, Hayden and, and Vince Williams back but I think about the Patriots in 2018 when they lost two in a row and everyone thought they were kind of dogs and they won the Super Bowl that year I think of the Broncos when they lost two in a row in mid-December and they won the Super Bowl people kind of thought they were dogs so it's possible but that one seed feels like so far away and and they're now in the in the lower tier of like they are going to have to figure some things out and get lucky along the way and, and win road games which is tough.
I mean, I think their problem was the the undefeated record shown a spotlight on them, and we have certain thoughts about an undefeated team that's you know deep in November, early December, and then you had the Chiefs sitting out there in these comparisons that highly annoyed Steelers fans. Um, <laughs> I think to, to Greg, you you mentioned Nadir like earlier, like tonight has to be the peak. Um, world of doubt for Steelers fans wondering if, like so many other very promising Steelers teams, um, ultra tough, rugged, able to work themselves out of a corner or two, but will it end um, in January like so many other Steelers teams under Mike Tomlin where good but not great? And you've got, we're watching another team in the AFC uh, looks just 10 times more powerful in Kansas City. Yeah, and the Bills. I mean, the Bills are... And the Bills, sure. I think yeah. I think Chiefs fans have to look at the Bills as like, that's the that's the team that scares you the most. We talked and about... And they, they basically won the AFC East tonight, by the way. I mean, like that's not that's not a small thing. The Bills are not... The Bills are going to win this division now. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. We talked about the Khalil Mack trade and who won that trade earlier tonight. It is one of the best trades. It could go down as one of the greatest trades of all time in, in terms of helping both teams. The Vikings send Stefan Diggs to the Bills. The Bills send a first-round pick to the Vikings. The Vikings draft Justin Jefferson. Uh, everyone wins in that situation. So the Bills are hot. They're peaking at the right time. And now we wait and see what the Steelers are going to do, how they pivot off uh, this kind of cul-de-sac they've parked themselves into. Very Interesting, And we didn't get a very good... I mean, it was a cool outcome of the Steelers going down. There's some interest there and the Bills on the rise. But, man, we were hoping for a good game Sunday night to salvage Sunday. We just couldn't get it. We just... Yeah. We searched for it Week all day. We just couldn't a, find it. There was a Week moment. Week messy. Well, it's up to you, Mark. I mean, you know, Baker up and, like, me. the people on the field, like, yeah, they matter a little bit. But I would, most, I would rather put that into deliver Monday night. myself. I mean, if someone has to play an actual on-field role, I think uh, Nick Shook would be the better person to pick than myself. What am I going to do? Listen, miss we, a ten-yard field goal. We've we've <laughs> discussed we've discussed the mystery of what happened to me with the Browns, but the greater uh, no, we haven't. The non we've never no, really no, we've discussed alluded, it. We've alluded to it. Uh, the non-mystery is the fact that I would never stand a chance with those guys after spending many many on-field hours with those guys. No, not a chance. Interesting, interesting. We're going to get to the bottom of that one day. Nick Shook's mysterious departure from the Browns. Um, real quick, the Raiders fired defensive coordinator Paul Gunther. I was going to make note of that during the game because Greg had teased. He thought a big change was coming, but then wouldn't say what it was and wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't say it was the head coach or the quarterback. I, I or did, the say, Gun- something, I did Greg, say coordinator. So I thought maybe it would be the ball boy or something. But it was it's Paul Gunther who goes. Uh, so I guess everything is on Paul, uh, poor Paul G., uh, and we'll see if they can respond from that. And before we go, let's check in on the locks. Greg, another W for Rosenthal. He picks the Bucks and locks them up. Chris Wessling down goes Wes. He took the 49ers, uh, mm. who mm. did not did not get it done. And then, of course, yes, if, if the game itself isn't enough, a lockoff for the ages, the old Zeuser uh, is getting behind the Baltimore Ravens. Mark and, and this is what I call the kiss of death, Erica, uh, get behind the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> hey, at least she's getting it in before uh, 11 minutes into the game. Right. Oh, oh, oh. I, well, I think Erica's on a hot streak, potentially. I don't know why you'd be doubting our producer, anyone here. Like, I think she's capable of sky-high achievements I don't know, on Monday I, nights. I never doubt Erica as a producer. 
But as a picker of locks and okay. fantasy teams, you know, and real teams, then it gets a little messy. <laughs> uh, all right. Good stuff. Great to hear from Wes again. We'll be back on Tuesday uh, with our recap of the that big Monday night football game and uh, look ahead to week 15. How about that? How about that, Sessler? We're getting there. I, I, I will absolutely... Um, if the Browns get torched tomorrow night, I will look forward to Tuesday with the way I would look forward to like an axe being thrown from 100 yards away into the center of my head. I don't, I'm not going to be excited for that conversation, but I'm sure everyone will handle it with um, grandiose, uh, you know, manners. So we'll be fine. Mark, have you been doing, have you been like taking victory laps? Have I been missing something here? No, I never have. That's right. That's not in your character. I mean, if they won the Super Bowl, I I will. I've told you I will set no, thirty-five then, automobiles then, on fire. But even then, it's not just it's not decided. Even if they win, it, it, it's never decided with them. Did anybody? Did any you're of our wrong. listeners reach out to you, Shook, about you know the thing that you're doing with a girl, the thing with a thing? No, no, okay. they're, they're all good people, and okay. and I also, like I said, keep my Instagram private. So there might be Smart. like two hundred requests sitting there unanswered, but whatever. <laughs> Very good. All right. Let's get out of here. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Nick Shook, the Sizzler, the old boss, and Ricky Hollywood in the shadows. Ricky stays in the shadows there. And you always wonder what's going on with her when she doesn't pop in. Like that was imagine. her decision. Until Tuesday. Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 